So I have to ask, do any of you ladies get hit on during your campaigns? <laughs> the players or the yeah. player characters? <laughs> Either. In D&D or tabletop format, what would they have to roll for a successful flirt? <laughs> uh, or maybe it depends on the roller. Definitely charisma, sometimes persuasion. <laughs> this was interesting because my character just asked out an NPC in D and D. That's that right. Audrey, Audrey That's right. NPC in actually. <laughs> Technically, you and I are flirting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, there I'm you go. Flirting for flirting for information, so I can use someone later. <laughs> The episode got spicy already. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> welcome aboard the Gamership. I am your host, Captain Z. I'm Audrey. I'm Mary. I'm Maria. And tonight's episode is Tabletop Games Ladies Edition, where I have three lady gamers with me. We're going to get into how they first started their tabletop journey, and we'll follow some of the some of the themes from the original tabletop episode with my friend John and his crew. Quick shout out to my friend John. Looking forward to the uh, to the campaign that you're setting up for me. That'll be fun. But ladies, this is this episode is about you. So let's let's get into it. If you could just let me know how did um, how did you first get into tabletop games? And we can start with Audrey if you want. Yeah, yeah. I can start. Um, I I knew that. Dungeons and Dragons existed, um, just being around a lot of sci-fi and fantasy growing up, but I'd never played until 2013, 2014, um, when we, when I had a friend of mine who was looking to start up a Star Wars D&D tabletop, and he wanted to have both guys and girls, and so uh, myself and my roommates uh, joined, and we played Star Wars D&D, and that was my, my first intro to it. Um, I'm I'm definitely a better DM than I am a player. I think so. I am I am currently a dungeon master as well as a player in uh, another campaign. Very cool, Mary. How about you? Um. Well, tabletop games as in D and D, or like board games in general. Like, you know, we had an interesting conversation on the last episode on how that was kind of the line is kind of getting blurred between the two because I think board games are becoming you know a lot more extravagant and uh, maybe they'll have some you know more rping involved things like that so you know just in general i guess yeah so board games you know i liked them as a kid and then in my early 20s some older friends of mine introduced me to like more complicated games that i didn't know existed like um Seven Wonders is a good is a good board game, and then that same crew a couple of years later got me into D anD D, and so I've played periodically. I play with Audrey, I've played with Maria, I've played with a couple of other crews. Um, yeah, I just find it fun. Cool, Maria. How about you? Well, I um, my brother when I was a little girl. We, uh, he's six years older than me, and he so he said it was an off-brand version of D&D, but he had built me a character sheet, you know, and he drew the character, and we played 
I don't know how we played when he was the DM and I was the only player, but we played something. And it planted that seed. And then I didn't get reintroduced to it until um, the TV show community did some really great homages to it. And it kind of perked my my interest again. And uh, during my, my mid to late 20s, um, opera singers were huge nerds because it's basically like we're doing the same thing, but we're getting paid to do it. So like sword fighting and playing gypsies and all kinds of awesome things. Um, and so a bunch of us would on our breaks or when we're not on stage would play the more intensive board games or poker. I first got introduced to poker that way as well. So I became like the one girl actually amidst a lot of nerdy guys that we would, that's how I wanted to spend my breaks. Um, or sometimes just the time I was getting paid to be there, but not needed. And that's kind of how those two worlds started to blend. And then in 2019, a friend um, was like, hey, my son, you know, we got in this D&D. This is one of those intro packs that everyone knows that our campaign started out with. I've done that. I think that was like my third time doing that campaign. But um, so that's how I officially started again was I joined their campaign and then my best friend during that, during a year of that pandemic was really into D&D. And so he, he joined that campaign, but then he also helped me develop a bunch of other one-shot characters of mine. One of them was the characters that I played in the campaign with Audrey and Mary. And so we would spend a lot of our free time during the pandemic when everything just kind of went kaput, talking about D&D and we poured a lot into it. We were also musicians. So for me, it was really... And, and even now, like this past summer, virtually, I played with a lot of my opera singer friends. So really, it, it lent my my career lent itself really well to the fantasy and the role playing, um, and the I, fact yeah. nerds. Yeah, I feel like mine too because I teach preschool. So I'm like, oh, this is just pretending. I can pretend. I pretend at work. I I can pretend here, but I get to pretend things, different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I remember the first thing that went through my head, though, was, um, you want me to act right now? You're not me. Like, I'm not developing a whole thing. <laughs> I'm not lying. So it was a little bit of a learning curve. Because it is. It's the full it's development. Learning curve. Um, backstory. There's a lot of work involved um, to play D&D. And so... I have friends that would like try to join and they were really not into it because of that. You have to love it. I mean, yeah. yeah. Do you all play um, campaigns that are custom or do you have any like out of the box? I see a lot of heads getting nodded here. I, so I have both. So okay. Audrey is great. Her, she does like great custom worlds. I actually was telling a friend about the character I'm playing right now. And they kept asking me questions because the lore is very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then with my brother and his friend group, we play um, we play a prefabricated uh, D&D gaming thing. And I will say that what I find more interesting is the custom because it has that world building. I know. I know. Whereas like, as a DM, right? Like I tried DMing once. It's much harder to do your own world than it is to just buy a book and then implement that and where you're reading that. But like the you lose so much detail and so much of the role role playing by doing that. You only have a certain 
a certain amount of information. And some DMs are great about adding and, and ad-libbing. But when your story goes one way and your characters want to go a different direction, it's hard to tailor the prefabricated uh, story to your players then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I w- Would you find that the, I guess, kind of custom games are much more popular than the out-of-the-box games nowadays? At least among my crowds, they are. Um, I had a friend who, he's also, I'm half Iranian, and this friend of mine is full Iranian opera singer. So he developed a, a series of custom one-shots at varying levels that ended at level 20. And it combined folklore from Persia and um, as well as religious traditions and history. So that was one of the best campaigns I ever played because this character, and also like my friends that I do opera with will tend to have sound effects and um, a playlist along with each thing they're doing. So they have, they, we all want all the theatrical elements. So they combine them. Um, and that was one of my favorites that I've played because it was just so specific and built on history. So we, when we would prepare for the one shots, we'd go back and we not only would we read historical lore, but we'd read folklore, and we'd have to do that to prepare for our, our one shot. It was really cool, and we've actually demanded that he return. <laughs> we were begging him to return and do some more because we really loved it. I, I imagine it would be kind of tough going from a custom game back to a, you know, out of the box game. Cause like you said, you're just missing out on so much of that, you know, story building element and, uh, or character building elements that you'd probably feel like at a loss if you did that. So I was, I was definitely curious. I don't, I definitely hear more people going to the custom aspect of it than, you know, but cause one of my questions was like, if there was something out of the box, like, you know, like which one was like your favorite if it was a popular one but um we can we could circle back around that i'm gonna give mary the floor because she was about to talk so good oh yeah i was just gonna say that like i prefer custom but i some people that i play with they prefer the ones that aren't custom in fact when i've like tried to introduce the role-playing aspect to them they've been like yeah this is boring i want to get to the fighting and to the our plot (laughs) i'm like okay well that's so true. Yeah. Everyone has their I've actually, as as far as I'm aware, I've never played an out-of-the-box uh, campaign. Hmm. Um, well, actually, no, no, no. I think the one that I'm playing now is a pre-made one, and I am not sure if my DM is tailoring it or if we are just playing straight through the chapter. I haven't asked uh, as much detail on that, mostly because I'm just trying how to play D&D. It's a very different on the other side of the screen. We did. Um, Audrey, you did the the, was, was the, nerd? the nerds one. I did a one shot. I DM. Right. Okay. So that one was all all out of the, out of the box. All out of the box. Yeah. Well, yeah. Audrey played hard, and she was a great player. So I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> like it's it's been a tough you. skill to learn. Yeah, it's uh, so. So th- those two cases will probably be out of the boxes. Um, I do like uh, custom world. 
for what we're what we've done uh, with the to to the partial campaign that uh, Mary's been in before, and then the campaign that both Mary and Maria were in are in. Um, you can come back. <laughs> and so we're we're definitely a homebrew world uh, for this, but we started it off with the ending sequence of Lost Minds of Fandelver, where um, they're in uh, in the mountain trying to find the forge, um, and we. Use some of the characters there, the the map, Fandolin, and everything, and we launched our campaign from that out of the box setting, and then went from there into our custom one. So it was really nice to um, for starting a story to have that out of the box base, and then uh, adjust it, tailor it, expand upon it um, from that from that point. That's interesting. I, I never thought about uh, actually doing that. So yeah, that's. A for beginners, maybe give you a less of a lift, getting your, I guess, establish the baseline, like you said. Yeah, definitely. It's also a really good way to like look at how a campaign is written. I know people have opinions on whether or not out-of-the-box campaigns are written well or if they adjust it, um, but there are plenty of resources out there and people's opinions on how to run certain things or things that they've adjusted for theirs. So it was good to see how one's written in a book and then be like, oh, okay, so here's how I need to format my future sessions so I can keep track of everything. Uh, I'd agree with Good that. template. My first game was that Lost Minds, and it was out of the box. And our DM, and I, she's a dear friend, she's Finnish, and they lived in Namibia. Her husband's a Fulbright scholar, so they're a brilliant group of people. Um, there wasn't enough role play, so it got, it got, uh, I started to crave the homebrew content quite a bit. So when Audrey proposed that we do the, the Lost Minds, I was like, no, not again. But it, but then she's like, no. It didn't stay the same very long. <laughs> I promise it's not going to be Lost Minds. I was like, okay, good. And it wasn't. It was great. A big takeaway from uh, the episode I did with the boys was that they expressed the importance of having a core group to play with. Do you all have multiple groups or do you keep it pretty tight knit with just, you know, the, the typical players? We all have multiple groups, don't we? Uh, yeah, I have, I have multiple groups that I, yeah, we all have multiple groups we play with. Yeah. I have one where I'm a DM and then one where I'm a player. Yeah. I'm in, I'm players in both of mine. Yeah. 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 And do you know these people personally or is it something that you just kind of like randomly found? The one where I'm the DM, I, I know my players personally. Uh, the one where I'm a player, uh, we signed up through, uh, my husband knows better than I do. It was like uh, online D&D, &D, like find players kind of thing. And okay. so I've actually never met our DM. I've never seen our DM or the other players. They are simply voices on the internet who exist only as their characters, which is kind of cool. In and an online itself. looking for group for yeah, D&D &D players. For <laughs> Need two players. We got two players. That's cool. Um, so yeah, it's it's very uh, interesting um, to, I guess, kind of like play play without that personal connection to everyday lives. Um, trade off is is we do get into the game like all right where we leave off a little bit faster than in, hmm. than a. People who are like, oh, hey, what'd you do this week? And catching each other up on 
on our lives and then be like, oh yeah, we're here to play D and D. I do Serious love business. having. I do like having that blend of sociality. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want it to take over the game, of course, but. I remember once uh, my one of my Houston campaigns, we went on a huge rant talking about Ted Cruz and how, and I was like, we need to make him a D&D villain. He'd be a great D&D villain. And they're like, yeah, he'd be a great mid-level villain. Cause you know, we're just all complaining about how he just took off. And so it's just nice to blend, it's nice to blend the social life. Um, what's really cool is the way that this campaign that all of us are a part of started it was because Joseph and I used to dance ballroom together and we had a ballroom reunion night and everyone discovered very quickly that that was, I guess they were there to dance. I don't know why they thought that would be plausible, but so that when they realized that wasn't the case, everyone started to get bored except for a bunch of us nerds. And we all started talking about D and D and we decided that we all wanted to play together. And that's how this group formed and started out as one shots. And then eventually we are like, we really like this. Let's make a campaign. And so Audrey and, and her husband put together this really fantastic campaign. So it was a really fun way that we just accidentally happened upon and then all became closer friends. Like, so I didn't know Mary beforehand. I didn't know Audrey beforehand. I just knew Joseph, her husband. Um, and they've become some of my favorite people for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think for me. Um, so with Audrey's campaign, yeah, I met Maria through it and I've met a couple of other people through it. So I didn't know everyone. And then with my brother's campaign, I like made him make me a player. He's like, you know, I play. So why didn't you invite me? (laughs) So it's because I'm the little sister. That's why. So, um, and then it ended up being like, they're a good friend from high school that I knew. And then it ends up being like their friend's friends and their friend's sister. So I've like heard their voices. I've never seen them in person, but it has actually changed to like the first half hour is like catching up on little things with each other and then like getting into playing. Yeah. (laughs) I will say in person, like if you look behind Audrey, all those blue boxes are her minis <laughs> like for in-person gaming. And they are fantastic. She does great sceneries, great stuff for in-person. Yeah. I'm learning. So you don't get that online. You get stuff that kind of can make up for it, but it's not just, it's not the same. Yeah. That I miss that, and I look forward to that becoming more of a norm as the pandemic ends. Yeah. Thank you for the amazing segue, because that was one of my big points I was going to bring up, is the in-person experience versus online play. Because a lot of people that are obviously not in the same state, even, you know, let alone same city, in your opinion, What's better, in person versus online? Is there any restrictions with online play? It sounds like you know, Audrey, you've got some pretty awesome in person play. Um, you you've got these environments set up, and you've got some miniatures and, and things. So, yeah, let's let, let's open the floor to that. Audrey and her husband. I so she mentioned we were, had started this this other campaign with them, and it was great. And then. Her husband decided to go to school that is like three hours away from here. So then we ended the campaign and I was quite sad. 
but then the pandemic happened and so we decided to play online so even though they live far away and Maria is in a different state than us uh we're all able to play so i will say that aspect of online play is great that i've been able to like reconnect with people that don't live close to me yeah. one of my campaigns is a mix so my opera dad he, he's a friend of mine that i've known since 2000 gosh what did i do? 2012 um and so the rest of his campaign is actually in person and the people will accommodate and others will be virtual sometimes mostly it's me that has been an interesting challenge because they'll have to send me screenshots of like their minis and like what's going on and they have you know sometimes they don't hear me like they're it's awkward right but what i really love is that they make it work and that we have really fantastic campaigns and they're very flexible so i think you have to have the right people to make a virtual campaign work if you have inpatient people or egomaniac egomaniacal people, they're not going to be as flexible because it can be frustrating. Like timing delays. I remember we were in the middle of a battle and I was about to do something crazy awesome. I was so excited. And then all of a sudden, like the internet went out and I had to wait like 30 minutes to to do this spell. And I was like, I'm going to decimate everything. Um, And so that's the one thing that you have to deal with the pandemic with uh, just last minute changes because their lives are unpredictable, like technical difficulties. And if, if it's partially in person and partially online, but if you have the right people, you can make it work and it's still fantastic. Do you find that there's any restrictions um, from the online play? And this is, as I mentioned, like at the beginning, you know, I'm, pending a campaign that I'm going to do online. It'll be my first ever one. So I'm very unfamiliar with like the online play portion of it versus the in-person. Is there anything that you feel is like very restrictive from the online play or is it fairly adaptable and accommodating to like what you're trying to accomplish? Um, I would say as the DM, um, having a, a visual uh, for, for your gameplay. So uh, websites like Roll20 or Foundry, they're awesome people. Uh, there are amazing artists out there, like Two Minute Tabletop, who who can do uh, like terrain scatter and maps and uh, digital miniatures that you can uh, adjust the color on, create, slap together, and in, in uh, Roll Twenty and possibly other places as well that we've used before. Um, that makes the adaptation from the tabletop to a digital tabletop very nice, uh, very easy. Uh, once you read through the tutorial twice. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I've heard some people find it a little tricky to... I had, I had to read through it twice to be like, what do I do? Where'd the file go? It's like, file will appear in da 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 Ah, okay. Um, but it is it is nice to do. Um, lots of artists out there do the maps from the out-of-the-box campaigns, or at least their version of them, um, which is great to have. Um, so my husband and I dual campaign. We're we're both the DMs of one homebrew campaign. So he's stronger at uh, the improv of a story, and I, when we were playing in person, my artistic skills ran loose on on the sets and the painting of the minis. Um, and I'm dying to do more in person ones as soon as possible because I I like the 
the physical board, it helps see distances better on a flat screen. I'm always measuring to see how far things are, even though the grid's laid out. Um, and there's, there's just something more tactile and more connecting, in my opinion, to have painted your mini or for your DM to have helped you create and get your mini printed, sculpted, kit bashed, and hand you your character. And you get to pick up your character and be like, this is me. There, there's much more of a connection, I find, with the physical uh, battle map. Um, I also enjoy the challenges of how does one make a crystal-encrusted, you know, interior cave with veins of gold and silver running through it? Like, what materials do you use to get those effects? Especially if you're on a tight budget, um, like we are. Uh, Dollar Tree's great. Uh, so are thrift stores. Um, but I, I really do enjoy the 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 physically creative um, portion of D and D in person as a very uh, enticing component for me to play and run D and D. Um, I do I do like uh, the digital. I think it's very useful, especially during pandemic or having uh, multiple time zones or distance uh, located people and players. One like the virtual is that you can do a lot of asides with your DM. So my it's harder to do in person. So my uh, Houston-based campaign that I'm in right now, um, he will have. We all have our own private channel. Chats with him specific to our character. And if it's in person, then he has to step out of the room for a little bit and talk. So, because otherwise, it's like you guys didn't hear that, and that takes a lot of the mystery. And you can't completely divorce yourself from hearing that. It's going to affect your decision making. So there are some advantages, I think, to virtual playing. You can also have asides to other characters in virtual playing. And I feel like that's more akin to real life. So mm -hmm. I've enjoyed that aspect of virtual playing is that you can take asides to other characters or to your DM like you would in real life if you don't want someone to say something. And you don't have to say it in front of the whole group. It makes it so much more realistic. Um, so I guess I like the character element and the plot design element of that. That's true. Um, Doing DM whispers digitally uh, makes for, uh, especially in a custom campaign when there's a lot of world lore, character background, uh, character background mystery in, in the case of uh, these two particular characters. It's very nice to be able to, you know, direct message just that person or like be texting them out of sight of the camera and like, well, what's the world logic on this? Or can I do this? And then writing back how the spell is affected by potentially the world mechanics of the custom world, um, especially when you're using the established 5e D&D uh, &D rules. Uh, certain spells do not work at all or work slightly differently in our custom world. So it's always nice to not have to break the flow of the story as much as possible. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, when uh, you need to clarify some of those finesse bits. That's exactly. And to add to that, um, what I was saying is that I also find it's really easy, like, because I've only been playing for two years. It's really easy for someone like me to have the digital endless encyclopedia of 5e and homebrew content at my fingertips. So at the touch, so that I can pretend like I have years of knowledge by just looking up a bunch of spells during a quick short rest, way more than I would if I was, when I was playing in person with someone's book that they're handing to me or trying to do like hours of research beforehand. 
So I also find it there's a level of convenience and adaptability for new players um, that I I've loved um, because you can go down a dark hole of knowledge with homebrew research content on a flick of a switch and come up with some really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, I will say like the digital apps, the helping apps like D and D Beyond is fantastic for rules and your character sheet and just being able to like keep information there of notes like who what characters your character has met history all of that um and then like there's different phone apps that I like for like my spell book what spells does my character know how many times have I cast a spell do I have this spell prepared um there's some helpful apps I have run across some like maps um did not roll 20 but there's some other apps that other dms have used with me that i've found more annoying than i would like like they have like you ha- in essence have to have a mouse with the scroll pad in order to like navigate the map and it's not at like yeah it's not like the biggest bother but like it's also not guaranteed these days with laptops that you have a mouse, right? That's something that's very interesting to me. I didn't know that there was actually an app available. Can you synchronize the app to your specific campaign or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, So this one is through, Oh gosh, what is that gaming system called? How I, hold on. Let me look real quick. This one is called Fantasy Grounds. And so you can get you can get uh, maps that are already made and just push it to your players. And, and then they actually have it so the DM can still hide part of the map from mm-hmm. you and only reveal whatever your character can see. But the way it runs is it just shows you like this huge screen that isn't tailored to your screen size. So you have to do some adjustment with the mouse that can be a little bit of a configuration. But it's neat because you can also like find a map online and put it into um, the app and yeah, tailor. Yeah, that is neat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think my brother went with it because it's more customizable and easier for him to just pull something and and use it yeah and for uh for the dms of the group like how much work actually goes into just the whole experience you know setting up the campaign and how much can you kind of like as a set as a follow-up how much of it can you Kind of, I don't want to use the word assume, but like uh, maybe just like taking as a standard for just rules that are 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 already in place. Kind of, and, and I don't know. I'm I'm a complete noob, so I, I guess what I'm getting at is you know maybe some things that you would just kind of like assume is the standard um, for what like maybe you have to roll as a high roll or what you like can and cannot do, or maybe you know like things like that. And I'm sure. You can elaborate a lot better than I can. I'm just kind of like, you know, trying to get my point across. But yeah, like um, just like all the all the work that goes into it. No, that that's that's a fantastic question. Um, when we first started out this uh, custom can this latest custom campaign, um, I definitely am because I didn't have that physical set to build. 
I was expending uh, hours of mental energy, stress, and time writing these details and trying to put in a flavor text in there and, you know, trying to get every bit of dialogue that I thought might come up uh, in the scenarios as much as possible so that I could have a script to read from because I am I'm just not very good at improv. Um, or at least when we first started this, terrible at improv. Um, and it has taken, we're on year, year two in real life of playing this campaign. And it's only recently that I've been able to become more comfortable with uh, the improv portion of dialogue and knowing what world information and uh, plot hooks and lore that I can drop into a conversation as I'm trying to RP these characters. Um, so there's there's that aspect of it. Um, prior to being more comfortable with the improv, we definitely were spending say several hours each week um mm -hmm. working on uh on writing up the scenarios uh and and story and lore and whatnot um whenever we go on a drive we're always talking D and like the next steps in the campaign or further lore in chapters five through nine our characters or players are currently in chapter um changing the lore as our uh, players have helped us also create this world. So certain things that the players have decided their characters know or have done or who they talk to. Uh, we keep those details either written in a book that we transfer to digital or in our minds. And we're like, okay, how can we play with this concept that uh, our player mentioned offhand? How can we make it canon? Um, so our players have definitely helped in the development and creation of this world, um, which has been really, really cool. Um, second half of your question was, I've forgotten. My apologies. Oh, oh, oh I probably uh, did a very yeah. poor job of actually expressing what I was imagining, no, but just no, no, like no. the things that were. Like um, the, the difficulties on how to do things, the, the checks and. Uh, yeah, just kind of things that you would have as like a standard that would just be like by popular vote. It would carry on from game to game. Like it would just be something that's, that doesn't need to be said. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, you roll this, it's going to be a critical. It's like, well, right. duh, if you roll this, you know, like just things like that, that will fit into like, or make things easier for you, you know, as just setting up things that you can skip maybe. Um, we definitely hold D&D uh, &D 5e as the basic building blocks um, or the, or this, it's more of a standard, like these are most likely what we're going to do and the rules we're going to play by as we do D&D. Um, that way our players can uh, also not rules lawyer, but definitely be like, hey, does this in fact work in your world the way it is stated in 5e? And we've had a couple of uh, spell queries, Mary, <laughs> um, where uh, certain things come up and a high check for something that should be a critical success in many, many cases doesn't, doesn't work. And then uh, it allows the players to be like, hold on, the, the ability or the spell or the, the rules on this is this. And um, it, it allows for open dialogue of, would that in fact work in this world? Yes or no. And occasionally we do have to say, due to the nature of this planet, it does not function this way. Or this spell is doing its job. There's just something about this particular item 
what have you, or lower knowledge or location that just does not lend itself to being revealed given the success of the check. Um, but we do mm -hmm. very much use the 5e system as the basis for it. I'm just thinking back to moments where you gave me that answer so much that I never stopped asking that eventually they gave in and gave me a little more detail about my item because they got and, and that's awesome as well um, because yeah. it's very good for the DM to to learn to not hide so much. And if your players are very, very adamant that they need to know something and if it if it could affect the enjoyment of the game, uh, the DM should... Uh, hear their players and realize that that possibly there needs to be like little yeah. little uh, revelations that could be gained from whatever it is, just to keep keep the intrigue there. What is that system that you're referring to that you keep as the standard for uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, which is the current latest incarnation of D and D? I'm not sure if they're coming out with a. Uh, uh, like a, an advanced D&D 5e soon, soon being handful of years. I think they're coming out with some supplemental uh, books. That's what it is. Oh, you know what? I did see a lot of new stuff on. They recently, they didn't have an app a few months ago on the iPhone, but they do now. And when I went on there, there was a lot more books than there was before. So yeah, they're starting to add a lot to 5e at least, at the very least. Mm -hmm. Do they update that every so often? Like to keep uh, things. They do. They just came out with a. Um, this is not the title of it, but this is what I know it is a content of. Yeah. It's like a compendium, an expanded compendium of dragons. Yeah. Um, which is very, very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, before that was something Cauldron of Everything, which was like additional spells. Tasha's, yeah. Yeah. T Tasha's. Uh, Cauldron of Everything, and then before that was um, a Tome of Monsters, so additional expanded monsters or older monsters that have been brought up from the 80s to uh, the, the 2020s rule level and challenge rating, so bringing back classic monsters, but making sure that they fit properly to combat your player characters. Commit demise. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, a lot if a people some people haven't played D D in a while and they'll usually reference when they started playing. Usually it's three point five. Mm -hmm. Three five or like one or like one or two. Like oh the original or the second version. Mm -hmm. No one talks about version four. Like yeah. no one talks about version four. <laughs> I don't think people liked it. That's the gist I've gotten. Yeah, yeah. Every time, like, I meet someone who like was playing around the time it came up, they're just like, "Yeah, no, we, we played three five. Yeah, <laughs> play three five. And then five e came out. It's like, but we played five. Yeah, <laughs> three, well, five. It's interesting because three five is different. It has different rules than five. And so, like, my brother, who's who is the DM, and he we're doing the fifth edition, but he grew up playing three five. And he gets upset about certain things because in 3.5, if your familiar died, then you got significantly hurt and you got psychic damage and it really affected your character. Whereas in 5e, if your familiar dies, you just cast a spell again and you have your familiar back. And it's different mechanics that does that. 
Yeah. For me being the noob that I am, and for the listeners out there that are not familiar, how often do people follow like the most recent edition of the standard versus just being like, hey, I like this version, so this is what I'm going to stick with? And that's what I wanted to comment on, actually. So I am playing with someone. I played with all levels. I, my first uh, DM was so strict with the rules that there was very little RP going on. And so my friend and I would, <laughs> he would do like his journaling and his nightly routine of exercises while we were playing. And like, we would have full on side conversations because it was that un unengaging. Whereas my DM of the campaign I'm playing now, it's called Dungeons and Dragonflies, has been going on for like four or five years. And there's about 20 characters on that list. And so if a, if a character dies, like they, they build a new one and it's part of their story. And some of those people, the character hasn't died. They're playing several different characters. It's really fascinating. And he also feel like he's very flexible. So he's like, if that doesn't make sense to me as a human, like, or in this realm, like, I'm not going to follow 5e. I'm going to do what makes sense. So for instance, he's like, you're not going to enter in at this level because everyone else is in that level because that's not how life works. Not everyone is on the same level. So he doesn't also level everyone up at the same time. And he doesn't automatically find a way to make sure that everyone understands each other if there's a problem because that's not how real life works. So he's on the full opposite end of the spectrum where he has crafted his world so specifically, but also is so flexible that it becomes so engaging because you never really know what he's going to do, but in a good way, in a way that's engaging and interesting. And that also, if you if you do a TPK, a total party kill, like you know that the story will somehow continue. And that it removes a lot of the pressure for someone like me, who I still feel like I'm a noob, where I can explore that world more and and not be terrified of the fact that I don't have this huge life story of knowing 5e for like four or five years like my colleagues you know and that brings up a good point that like it very much can be your dm can it has a huge influence on how much you enjoy the game for me like my personal style i'm a little lax with rules typically and so when i have a dm that is very harsh like these are the rules and this is how we play yeah exactly i'm like mm, our styles don't quite they don't quite align however you can't like completely forego rules because it kind of gives it gives you that baseline for having like being able to do things and making things fun right like when you roll a one and you don't get to do the thing, the cool thing that you wanted to do, right? That's an aspect of the game. And ultimately, like even in the book, it says the DMs have say over this, really. Like this is our guidance, but the DMs can change it. That's actually a great, a great topic. Yeah, that because one of the main things I was asking, um, with John's group was like, how do you know almost like the difficulty level based on what the DM is? Um, it may be like what the DM's expectation is, you know, are people going to be scared of dying in the campaign? You know, especially maybe at the beginning of the campaign where they don't get too far in. And that's, that's just an excellent point, you know, for, for perspective on, you know, maybe a more strict DM, it's like, hey, man, you're dead. 
you're in the crowd. That's it. You know, we're moving on. And then maybe someone's a little more slack. Be like, okay, well, maybe you get a second role, you know, and maybe this will happen. It'll, uh-huh. I, I think that's a very interesting topic on how flexible it is based on the, on the DM, you know. I know some DMs that enjoy the pa- the power they have a little bit too much and kind of like to do things like that to their character, their players. Like it's less about how it in how much the players are enjoying it and how much he can just mess with them or she can just mess with them. So it, it can be really interesting though, going from game to game, especially if they're one shots, because it becomes such a different experience each time. But I wouldn't say that one is a downside than the other. It makes it every game so different. Whereas like when you play a board game, even if it's a great board game like Seven Wonders, that's really complex. It's still the basic structure. But D and D is not like that when you have even just from one DM to the next. That is the one thing I do love about it. And I have heard like some uh, DMs suggest to other DMs like just know your players because some players are okay with their characters dying, and some players, I mean, because it's your nature, you get attached to it. I actually. In the first campaign I played with Audrey and Joseph, my character almost died. And I was really scared. I had a lot of emotions about it. <laughs> I kept rolling ones and they kept rolling 20s. And I guess it's like huge monster. My character had no business being near. Roll better, Mary. Roll better. Like, come on. <laughs> no, why dice go to dice jail. <laughs> like, it doesn't do its job right. You go to jail. Um, yeah. Um, one shot uh, definitely. Oh. Remember, we got a TPK, and I loved that character. And in fact, it's my character here. I loved it so much that I asked that DM permission to resurrect it, and I then had to, I had to come up with a reason why. So it changed my my character's disposition, her reason for how she was able to be resurrected and come back. But if he had said no, like in theory, I would not be allowed to play that character anymore. And it is hands down my favorite character. I've used it in so many campaigns. So. All I can say is thank you to that DM for being that flexible because, yeah, they have that much power. They can be like, too bad. I don't care how much time you put into it. I don't care about how long you've been playing that character, how much you love it. It's gone. (laughs) As as a DM, um, and uh, my my husband and I actually uh, have have had a little bit of, uh, like, God conflict on how we want to run the story because I very, very much want all my players to be successful and keep going and finding more about the story. Um, but then my husband is a very, very good balance to me going, we've established these rules. The risk of death needs to be a thing. Otherwise there's mm. not a real challenge or right. risk that can be taken. Um, right, let me jump in here real quick. First, I've got a few points here and one, we're at an hour almost. And somehow I did not, see audrey the awesome dye earrings that you're sporting <laughs> they're fucking amazing and i somehow did not notice them until now so <laughs> that is cool and thank you to I, I, at blurred con who made these they're awesome there you I go recommend. yep absolutely so a few things and you ladies have been great because you're kind of answering questions that i've yet to ask like you're just providing the information there. Cause like one of the things I was going to ask was how do you set how strict these rules are? And like you said, it was, it's almost like you have to get a feel for the group. Right. And that's more or less how you base your decision. I mean, you could be a jerk, you know, right. <laughs> just be as strict as you want, but 
I think you have to play the balance game, right? Of just trying to tell your story, but also, you know, provide a real threat to the campaign. And another thing, me being completely new to this, is I, I never, you know, thought of the idea of kind of co-op DMing, you know, the the experience and having that balance. And I think that's great, you know to someone that's a little more strict and someone that's a little bit more forgiving. And that's, I think that's a cool aspect. Um, of all the things I talk about on the, on the podcast, you know, this is an area where I'm completely new to. So this is actually quite refreshing to hear all this stuff where I'm just like lost. Almost, I, I, I follow you, but I'm like still <laughs> kind of lost in the sense of the lingo and everything. I think that's great, but I'm sure there, the, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate. Yeah. There's a yeah, huge curve with the lingo that took me a while. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and thank you for for stopping us and having having us explain what certain things are um one of your questions earlier uh in relation to starting out is like what do you need um as uh over on my bookshelf here we only have um well we have we have five books but when it comes down to it um the dungeon master uh, whether digital or physical either one works the dm's guide is truly all you need and for a player, the player's guide is truly all you need. And you don't need to read it cover to cover. Goodness knows I have not. Um, but it, just to read over and have those references handy on, like, how how does knocking someone unconscious work? And, like, what what is restrained versus grappled? Having those references are great. But that's that's really all you need are the basic rules. After that, the second that story starts... Any of the rules become up to the, the dungeon master's discretion. The players can say, hey, I know the spell says this. Would I, could I maybe, either based on my role or based on this particular situation, um, there's also something called the rule of cool, where you can have uh, DMs that are very much, this is what the rule says, that's how it's going to be, and that's how we're going to play it. But then every once in a while, as you're getting into the story, the the emotions are are there. Everyone's enjoying themselves, and the player goes, "Hey, I know the rule says this, but wouldn't it be cool if I could?" And the DM can go, "You know what? Rule of cool. Roll for it, and we'll see if it happens. And if you roll well enough, the DM can allow that breaking of the established rule in that particular case." And that well, can to worlds fun. My friend Mostly John's probably gonna like hate me now because that. now I'm going to exploit that and and whatever campaign <laughs> he's brewing. I was like, sorry, Absolutely. I'm a new bro, cool. Hey, you know what'd be cool, John? <laughs> I could totally exploit and, and that DM, now. The DM still has uh, the the power to say no for this case. I really do need it to work on the established rule, and that could be due to storyline it could be due to uh the mechanics of the battle the enemy that you're fighting against any advice you would have to a new dm to kind of prepare them for the task of of filling that role mary you're the newest uh dm with your adorable one shot oh, i would say getting into it it's easier to run an out-of-the-box campaign because then it gives you an idea of the different things that would be helpful for you to create your own 
world. I did try running my own world as my first campaign, but the problem is it takes so much time. And as a new DM, you're learning one, the mechanics of how to even establish a creature fight that is the same, that matches your players. Right. And also like I was trying to single campaign it. So I like single DM it. And so I like had this character, this creature fighting my players. And I was so nervous. They were all going to die that I dialed it back and ended it before I should have. Right. But these are all mechanics that you're still trying to find the balance of like, how strong do I make my creatures? How long do I let the fight go on? Do I let them die? Do I, you know, how bad do I let them get injured? There's so many things that you're trying to figure out as a new DM. And on the DM side, you're like, okay, this is the world. These are the things. My players are going to get this because of A, B, C, D. And you get into play. And no matter what, the players do something unexpected. <laughs> and you're like, yep. how did you get there? Not sure. And you try to say like, oh, yeah, here's this lore. You should go over here. You should go. Here's this lore again. Oh, it's popping up in all these different places. Why don't you do this? And the characters don't care. They're like, eh, whatever. Don't care. Don't care about that. And so. Well, you've mentioned improv so many times, you know, during our discussion. I feel like that's also a necessity for the DM because, like you said, I mean, anything's fair game, right? Anything that, you know, your player base comes up with, you have to have a response for. You have to have an answer for. So. Mm -hmm. I imagine it would be certainly be challenging, you know, (laughs) it's very challenging. Yeah. So if you're trying to do your own world, it's really, it's a lot to start off with. My advice. If you're going to do that, it's good to have a helper, um, guiding you or, uh, a one shot, do it just as a one shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would probably recommend that as well. If you're starting out as a DM, do a basic like level one one shot that way you don't have to worry about players with tons of spells that you're not familiar with or crazy mechanics that come in by having multiple spells or abilities in play um even if you have experienced players um i do recommend having having a group of inexperienced players and experienced players and hopefully one of them's an experienced dm because they can help you through that process. That's one of the things I really like about D&D is it's cooperative storytelling, but when you're switching those roles, like at our Halloween one-shots where player our, our typical players become the DMs for the, for the weekend, is uh, you have that, hey, how do I run this? Um, my husband helps me a lot with combat because I'm not very good at combat construction at all. Um, There are some wonderful online resources for that. Uh, D&D Beyond has like a combat creator um, can use where you can plug in your players' characters and then go through their uh, repository of monsters, engage like a easy combat for your players to defeat or something like, this is God level and we'll destroy all all humanity on your planet. Please do not give this to level three players um, Mm -hmm. type of advice, which is very, very nice. but yeah, for starting out, one-shot's definitely the way to go, especially uh, pre-established one-shots. There's tons of them online that you can get access to. Uh, basic rulebook uh, information, you don't have to buy them. Well, you don't have to buy the physical book. You can get them online digitally. Just player's Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, a set of dice, 
Um, even for maps, uh, I use the, the 50 cent paper, like the poster paper from Dollar Tree and slap some sponge paint on it and use a, a yardstick from Home Depot and grid it out. And that's my battle map base. It doesn't have to be these extensive set pieces and tile boards and painted minis. You can literally throw down a dime, a nickel, a quarter, and a penny for your four players, and those can be your pieces. Um, it doesn't have to be this elaborate uh, set piece. I like doing it because I need an artistic outlet, and sometimes I like to create a dungeon with uh, torture chamber tables on it, and it's fun. Um, or, or caves with crystals. It can be as detailed as you want visually in your play construction, or it can be as much theater of the mind up to the imagination. Um, balance to that is you as the DM should be ready to describe and uh, what's the term that Abria uses? To paint a word picture and uh, use that to really bring your players into the world. So you can play a whole play it a whole range of ways, um, but I do echo the, the one-shot for starters. I, I think if you want to take the extra mile of setting up like the atmosphere of displaying something like that, like an in-person game, but I think like you, like you're, I think you're kind of alluding to is you want to make sure that someone understands like the mechanics of what you're setting up because the imagination can do everything by itself, right? Like they, the imagination can like, Give you the picture but what you maybe what you're trying to display is the mechanics of like look you're so far mm -hmm. you know feet wise from like something else maybe and like you're trying to make the mechanics easier for someone to understand versus like the actual like imagery right mm -hmm. am i getting that kind of right correct yeah um you can have players who are very very visual cue oriented so having the placement of things on a battle map or just a dining room table um, can really, really help in determining relation of, especially vertical spaces. Like if someone's up on a roof, it's like, oh, I'm going to shoot them. You can't see them. Mm -hmm. Why can't you see them? It's because you're behind the alleyway wall. You would have to move in right. order to see them, but that does expose you visually to other people. And if you're a rogue, you lose your stealth, and that can affect battle. Um, there are, for, for character construction, that can take a while as well. I highly recommend that uh, DMs and players construct the characters together if it's their first time run through for either one of them. Um, there are also some handy online, like simple character sheets that people have uh, created. Um, my players know that I've used those before in one shots, especially if we're bringing in people who've never played. Um, they'll have like little explainers of like, what does stealth do for me? What does a uh, persuasion or a nature check cover? Like, what what kind of things should I learn to ask the DM? Um, that that's another feature of playing. Um, it's very much a when your character is going through this world, the player needs to ask, "What does my character see?" Or would I be familiar with? organization? Or would I know in town where to find a blacksmith? Those are very typical questions that players should ask uh, should ask of their DM. And the DM can say, pull a history check to see if you know it, or religion or nature, depending on what category it is. Or if your character is a local, 
the DM would say, oh yeah, you know Tom, the the blacksmith. He's down at the corner with his, you know, black horse storm that he's got. And he, he used to do swords. You would know this because he hangs out at the tavern and he regales you with stories of him as a young adventurer. Totally go and ask him about Hot Point Segway. You know, that kind of thing. Are there um, any are there any kind of um online content creators that you all follow like one that all right well <laughs> let me let me start it off because it sounds like everyone's got their own but one that stood out to me just because of i think how popular they are is a uh, critical role have you yeah y'all seem to be there's <laughs> excess of head nods here so yes they're everyone knows critical role and that's i've not checked them out myself but i understand like they're quite popular um and my, my beanie's somewhere yeah. <laughs> oh okay there you go you've got a critical role beanie there you go sport in it in our campaign of fan gear of critical role also yeah. <laughs> if you want to put a stamp for them i'm sure we could be <laughs> giving them a free promo right now <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of podcasts now and YouTube channels of people putting up their their different D and D campaigns. Um, it's also kind of a nice resource to just see the different styles that people have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was one thing I really liked about this past summer with uh, Critical Role. They had a guest DM, uh, Abria was was doing the DM and doing the DME. And she is very much a, a rule of cool DM. And it was very, it, it's not a massive contrast between uh, Matt Mercer and Abria's style, but it was very good for me to see two different styles of DMing. Because um, I, was, I was leaning more towards trying to replicate Matt Mercer's style and going into the excessive details and needing everything prepped and planned. Whereas Abria was much more freeform and it it was just enjoyable. It's enjoyable to watch both, um, but it was especially in, enjoyable to watch her really utilize the rule of cool and the weird things that players come up with. And I think that helped me as a DM to become better at improv and more comfortable with let, letting control of everything go a little bit. So I hope that that's made gameplay more enjoyable for, for my players. I mean, I have enjoyed playing your game, so I haven't noticed, but it's been fun. It helps me sleep better at night, that's for sure, just like not stressing over it. I was going to say, like, as someone who hasn't been a DM yet, um, I've, I've had a one-shot brewing in my mind for a year, but I had to put it on hold. But it's going to come back because I'm really, I still have most of it mapped out in my head. Like as someone who's never done it, I can't even imagine the anxiety of what are my players thinking? Am I failing them? Are they annoyed at me? Like I'm sure there's so much of that in addition to all the prep. And so like for every day I'm out there, hats off to you just for doing it because it's a lot. You're putting yourself out there and you're in control of this. And then your players have free reign to criticize you whether you're doing a good job or not when it's way easier to be the critic than it is to be the dm that is for sure i'm gonna have to go back from my original <laughs> my original joke 
has there been any challenges? That's a serious question. Has there been any challenges as a female gamer in the aspect of tabletop games or any other games? If you want to share that, have you have you know maybe you get maybe you get hit on every once in a while, right? That's that's bound to happen. Um, but have you had any negative experiences? And this group looks like, oh well, <laughs> Mary is like, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yeah. Let's hear it, Mary. What, what, what's happened? Uh, I, I've had it be completely railroad, railroaded, like trying just to get a word in. And it's like, nope, I know what we should do. Well, yeah. but here's the thing. There's this thing that you're not thinking of. And I can't even finish a sentence or like I finish a sentence, but it doesn't even matter. It's like I'm talking to a wall. Is that with a random group you've tried to... No, actually, it was um, with people that I had played before and just for whatever reason, someone decided that that night they needed to be right on everything. And it was interesting to see that dichotomy because it was two girls and two guys and whatever the women were saying, this one guy shut us down and was like, nope this is it. We got to do this thing. And it's like, but there are these other things that you are not considering. And it just couldn't get in word. Even worse. Sexist yeah. DM right there. You I mean, know. I'm going to be open and free about it. I would say the cisgender males tend to be the ones that I find are the most like that. Um, my gay male friends aren't like that at all. They're not misogynistic. I don't know why that is. It could just be coincidence, but that's been my experience. That sometimes the cisgender ones are the ones that are going to be more misogynistic and railroad you. Um, and I have run up in that. Yeah, for sure. It's a thing. I don't, I think that it's just a societal thing and it'll take some time um, yep. for men to be like, I should shut up now because the women have just as much intelligence as I do, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, game flirting for aside, you know, like I've had a challenge of like interpersonal, like relationships twice now with campaigns. So I, I remember one of my campaigns, that's like, as long as there's no guy that's going to fall in love with me, we're cool. You know, <laughs> because that's a problem, right? Yeah. Like if there's an interpersonal relationship and it ends, you got to leave the campaign. So that's a downside, but it's because <laughs> if you really like your campaign, you don't want to leave. So that's a fun, that's an interesting, fun thing, that challenge that I've run into. Um, but, but that one is a lot less negative than I would say running into people that are very or men that are very controlling and railroading and that is a problem i've run into a lot yeah and um, i'm, I'm no, at go the ahead other, go ahead you first no problem i'm at the other end of it um no no particular things come to mind uh as far as like male female player uh conflict or uh female player male dm conflict uh I, I haven't experienced any of that. I also have not played extensively for several years um, as a player. Um, so in, in that, I haven't experienced it. Uh, when, we, when we run our one-shots with new players, um, typically it's, it's mixed sexes. And uh, we, we try very much to, whether we're DMing, a one shot together or DMing one shot separately. We try very much to uh, include the players. Be like, okay, 
so-and-so, here, here's your character, what do you think you're going to do? And then hop around the table and just kind of touch base throughout the game with each of the players to try and just engage them, even just one-on-one -on -one of, hey, what, what do you think your character would be doing right this moment? And have, have that space just go between DM and player, even though everyone else is at the table. And just keep everyone equally engaged as much as possible, or as much as the player would like to be engaged. Um, I also have not really experienced uh, players overriding each other um, as their characters, sure, but those are their characters doing things, but not players overriding each other. Uh, so in that, I, I think I've been lucky. Um, but, but I think uh, a good portion of that equality in gameplay can be greatly assisted by the DM just checking in with people and giving giving the players and their characters those moments where their character can split off from the party and have a little sub-adventure by themselves and then come back. Just that personal time within the story, uh, I think, is a, a very good exercise to allow equal time on game. And I think I have to hail my friend Ramin Chabrani for that one because his idea of setting up the structures and rules before each one shot like he would do in a classroom setting, telling us exactly the rules of respecting another player, when, how to respectfully say like, I'm feeling railroaded or I'm feeling triggered. That's how you fix that, is you, you create equality where there isn't any. And so I have to call him out. He's an, he's an excellent example of a DM that I respect because I feel like I have I have an equal and valid role at every game I play of his because he creates an equal playing field, whereas there might not be one if we had a dominant personality. And he immediately squashes anyone's ability to do that. Uh -huh. So there's definitely ways around it. And I think people can, I think especially DMs can become more proactive because they may not always realize it's happening. It's so they have, they're juggling so many things at once. So those are my two thoughts is that I think we can be a lot more inclusive and the DMs have the power there. But definitely, definitely let the DMs know. If, if, if you as players have great ideas or ideas you think that could help with that or help the DM help you with something, definitely let us know. We're, we're there to help make the story engaging and we can write the plot points and the NPCs literally for nearly 30 some odd hours a week. Trust me. But the story is written by you guys as players. And we need your voices to help tell the tale. Yep. And I'm... It, it kind of sucks that we're so late in the game here coming up to this topic of challenges for female gamers because i think that's kind of a big topic i wanted to touch on for this episode specifically it wasn't just the fact that i have three ladies talking about tabletop games i wanted to have that feedback from the female's perspective i'm sure there are female gamers that are just as good as male gamers out there but for tabletop i see absolutely no reason why you would feel like you know a female's perspective is less important in this regard because we're not talking about your ability to handle a controller or your reaction time or anything like that. I don't see how you could be a controlling male in this situation, you know? So I, I think that's a major issue 
and I, I definitely get behind you ladies in the, in the aspect that your voices should be heard in this regard because, you know, where, where is your standpoint as a male's perspective? Is it just the fact that it's ego or, you know, what is it that you're being like, oh, I don't wanna, I don't listen to this person. This is my way, right? I, for, and, my, for my yeah. experience, it has been ego. Like I, they love to be the person that introduces you to it, but they definitely don't want to relinquish control after the fact and let you ha like take that and run with it. And from that point on, be your own player and be intelligent enough to make decisions. That's been what I've run into the most is that they're really great as helpers. But if they, but if when they have to take the role of an equal, that's where they really struggle. So I think that it's because predominantly the world of gaming has been through the last 20, 30 years, more inherently masculine for some strange reason. So my ex-husband, I, I married a nerd and I didn't know it. So I wasn't a nerd in college and yet he wouldn't let me play. I wanted to relearn how to game. I had, you know, I grew up with the original NES Zelda and Mario, right? Like I'm older than him. So like, but it was really weird. He wouldn't let me play. So I can only like help, you know? So there's just some, there's some misogynistic ego, like cultural issue where there's some men that just can't really relinquish that control and see you as an equal anymore. That's been what I've experienced. I don't know about you, Mary, when you've run into this. Yeah. Um, it's been from the perspective of like, yeah, I guess it is the ego thing of like, I want to do these cool things and I'm going to like be the center of attention. And, and then when someone challenges it, if it's uh, another male, then they get into like a pissing contest or if it's a female, totally railroaded. Like, that's like when I've seen it. Now I will say it is not the majority of the time. And I, I will also say one issue that I see is like, because it's been so masculine for so long that some men are still surprised to even see some female players and genuinely do not know how to interact then. Like that. even, even like well, trying their best to be helpful, to be like, whatever. They genuinely do not know what to do and what is appropriate or inappropriate. So let me let me chime in on this because this is like a really fascinating topic to me. And again, before anyone can take what I'm saying the wrong way, I feel like any woman out there is capable of being equal to a male in the gaming aspect. Most males have had the muscle memory and the practice ingrained into them they've had the time and that's kind of like what they grew up with to give them the advantage at that type of game right some women do not practice that and honestly that's a lot what gaming is it's muscle memory men have a more dominant maybe um interest in some gaming that that women do not you know so would you all agree with that? Like, so I know you all have kind of like known each other through gaming and you have that kind of, you know, shared interest, but, and I'm, I'm just doing this to play devil's advocate. You know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not being pro male or female at this moment. I'm just to spur the conversation. Um, 
outside of your immediate group, would you know a lot of female gamers, whatever it is, tabletop, any sort of gaming in general? Like, what is, like, the... How many would you say that you know for, like, the female gaming perspective? Um, it depends on what you consider a gamer, and I think that's half the problem. Because I think okay. marketing is also an issue here. Mm -hmm. Through the decade, the last 30 years, I would say marketing for, let's say, just video game marketing has been predominantly pointed at males for just um, an issue of tradition and habit. Because I agree with you, as, as a voice teacher, that's something I say to my students all the time. You have the same body as me. Why couldn't you do this? Mm -hmm. So it's the same issue with gaming. I have the same body as you, Matt. Why couldn't I do it? So if I had the goal to gain your right. skill level, I would just have to put in double, triple, quadruple the practice to get to your level. But of course, if I wanted to, I could. Absolutely, so yes. I would I would say that uh, at least for me, it's about catching up past the, the decades of where like it just wasn't culturally, like women should be into this too. I definitely fell victim to that. For whatever reason, yep. the pocket of the world that I was in, it was not marketed towards me, and it wasn't it, it wasn't at my fingertips until my thirties. I don't know what yeah. you guys feel about it. Yeah, I I mean I don't I, marketing. I think is one thing for me. Like honestly, I've always been the girl where like if it's marketed to me because it's pink, then I get offended because I'm like I'm not a particular fan of pink actually. So, like, the genderization of things, I'm just, like, I want to like it be for what it is. Um, I would say as far as the number of the male-to-female ratio of gamers that I know, I'm trying to think. I want to say it might slightly lean towards more male, but it's almost as far as, like, D&D, tabletop board games, like... It's about equal. For video games, people that I know that do video games, it's most, I don't know very many female video game players. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the, the gap is there. Um, and that's where I'm talking about marketing. I think the gap there has been marketing for video games. But I find that 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 stereotype lends itself to sometimes tabletop or RPG gaming. Yeah, I think, and I bring up this, the, the discrepancy of like tabletop versus some other form of gaming, just to bring to the point where I 100% do not agree with someone favoring a man's opinion in a tabletop scenario, because there's, absolutely like no muscle memory or practice involved with this to form a stereotype you know what i mean like you have these other you know um gaming scenarios outside of tabletop where the men have dominated the market right and of course if you're going to dominate your time to something and practicing something you're going to be better than yeah. someone else right so that's I can 100% see it where it's like if someone's playing Halo and they're paired up against the girl and they're going to be like, hell no, I'm not losing to a girl. Like, that's not going to happen, right? I can understand that stereotype slightly. Again, do I, do I say like a girl is not capable of being a guy in Halo? Absolutely not. But I can understand the stereotype versus the tabletop scenario where like we're not talking about 
you practicing fucking like eight hours a day. You know what I mean? Like right. getting the muscle memory and getting all this stuff down to you just having a brain and, you know, and, and an imagination and being able to provide some insightful opinions on something, right? Completely different. Roll with me here. Stereotypes have their place at the tabletop game. Um, a lot of the uh, your traditional classes are, you know, the barbarian is super strong but kind of dumb. That in and of itself is a stereotype. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I find I find tabletop gaming and art role playing games very fascinating in that they allow you to explore the other. Like if I have this mindset of I'm the misogynistic bard who's super hella hot and I'm gonna sleep with all the ladies and they won't say no. You as the DM can then go, but what if I throw someone at you who does say no? Mm -hmm. Or what if you enter some area where no one, regardless of their sex, wants to sleep with you? What what do you as that person potentially who is that way playing the character who is definitely that way learning and discovering and seeing like you know the bar the barmaid walks past you after dropping off your drinks at your tavern the bard goes oh i slap her ass on the way by the dm can go she punches you in the face and as you're laying there on the ground takes five gold and reminds you that or lets you know that there is a no touching rule here in this here tavern and then your character's thrown for this loop, and potentially the player. Um, I don't mean to specifically go towards men and misogyny for this, mm. but we're using it as an example. Assuming it's a male bard, yes. Right, assuming it's a male <laughs> bard. Um, but that could be an, a very interesting plot point for the character, and by extension, the player. Uh, you could have a female character or, and player, like, if, if the player is very shy and she wants to be very dainty and, you know, your typical dainty princess kind of character. Uh, again, another stereotype. How, how do these other, how do her teammate characters help her come out of that stereotype? Do, does the big burly barbarian male, you know, sit down with her at one point after she hesitated in battle and is just like in the best way possible trying to go, you're stronger than you think you are. You know, you be a bit more confident. And if the the player's like, well, I don't I, the player, don't know how to do that, RPing, which is why my character is this way, the other player could use that moment to be like, well, I, the barbarian, I want to feel more confident. I stand straighter, you know, puff up the chest. And you can have that be a building and learning moment, both for the character can then use that, you know, advice later in game, but also the player who can then go back home and potentially use that same lesson that they're experiencing as this other life and apply it to real things. Um, Very interesting. And, and another, Crossover another, experience. Yeah. yeah. Another fun aspect of RPG is being able to, more, uh, more current video games uh, allow you to choose, would you like to be a male character or a female character, like Mass Effect, which is awesome. You can do that in D&D, &D, and I would almost posit you've been able to do that in D&D &D longer than a traditional 
video game of having that option. Do you want to be male or female from the start screen, essentially? And so I could be a female player being a, you know, very sly male wizard who's all about, you know, the magics and the corruption of power and da 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 da, whatever my story is, and see what it's like or what I think it could be like being a male in that scenario or being a male bard or a male barbarian or a male paladin or a male prince or who is shy and demure and perhaps is not living up to the world's you know replicated stereotype of you're the prince you're going to be king one day you know man up and be be the opposite end of that of i'm not your typical masculine character in this established world um, and in that, I find tabletop gaming to be a very, very good, fairly safe sandbox to mm. run through those experiences and see, oh, but if I say this to this person, this character, how did they react? Why did they react that way? What if I said that to someone in real life? Would they react that way? You know, they might not have a sword and divine smite me, but... Would would that actually hurt their feelings as much as it did, you know, my my buddy's character? And it, it could give you a pause to reflect on that and apply it to in real life. I hope you don't mind if I have a commentary on this, but I, I have to say two things. One is I think Mary has been a really good example to me of, of finding the moments to to do that within the game. When I first met her, um, I think she didn't come on into our character right away. And so we were like waiting for her character to start. And when she started, she started in a, in a character that was clearly very upset with another character. And at first I was just so blown away with it because I was so used to everyone having the niceties, right? Because that's what we do. We're all nice to each other. And she didn't, she held her ground and responded the way that she believed her character would respond. She did not care about the niceties of how it would affect the male player. And from that point on, I was like, who is this girl? And and she continued to astound me to teaching me how to play my character the way my character should be played and not the way Maria would play it, um, which is how my current DM puts it. That Maria, don't worry about a TPK. Would Pixia care about a TPK? If she wouldn't, then you should make the choice for Pixia. And Mary's such a great example of that. So she's helped me. Anytime I prepare a character, I'm doing a psycho psychoanalysis on a character as a performer. So of course I've noticed this as we prepare characters ourselves. There's always a level of self-portraiture in any character we create. It's impossible to not do it subconsciously. Whether it's a part of ourselves we're not wanting to explore, maybe it's a part of ourselves that we despise in another person, there's just always some level of self-portraiture. And it's really interesting because you see that within your game when you get to know your players as, um, as friends, you start to see their flaws being played out. I notice it myself. I start to see my flaws being played out. Um, and so inherently you will fall into those traps, whether you want to or not, at least in D&D, where you can hide behind that in a video game that has a set of matrices electronically set up for you. You can't hide from the psychology in D&D. It's very revealing. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's an excellent point. Actually, very interesting um, balance it seems like of what you're trying to act as what you're mm -hmm. trying to get into the rp mode for and what your natural instincts kind of portray 
no matter what, like you end up putting a little piece of you in your character, no matter what. But I will say that I feel it less with campaigns that are like prefabricated, like out of a box. Those ones that are more plot driven and less RP, less tailored to my character or like some DMs, they, um, instead of having the character make their backgrounds, the DM will make the background for the player. And so if I'm not part of that creation process, I'm not quite as attached to my character. And therefore, it's more of like, well, this is what this character is. And I will do these things. But also sometimes then I'm not as true to how my character would be because then it's more like I'm playing a pawn in a game versus a character in a game. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up? Just giving equal fair ground before I before I wrap things up. No, I think I've said I think I've said everything. I think everyone has done a really good job of of giving inputs. I just wanna you know, as part of the learning experience for me doing this thing, I wanna make sure everyone has like you know their own uh time to say something and give their input. So all right. they're giving us this opportunity and it was really fun to connect with some of my the gamers that I respect the most, which happen to be women. So Yeah, thank yeah. you for, for inviting us on to discuss a myriad of topics from from basic you know, what what is tabletop gaming for you? What's it like as a gal? Uh, DM player dynamics, helpful tips. Like, it's it's really, really nice to have this opportunity to share our experiences, both good and bad, and how we can work together to improve them. Yeah. Thank you all for, for being on. I really appreciate not only the female perspective, but just the fact that you took the time during the holiday season to to come on i you know the podcast has slowed down a bit during the holiday season kind of took the wind out of our sails but you're going to push us on into the new year and uh it'll definitely be fun in um in 2022 <laughs> but until then game on <laughs>